Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I have never shied away from admitting the fact that my nature is a little bit carnival barker-ish. I just kind of am that way. I like pro wrestling. I like big, fun, loud things. I've just kind of always kind of gravitated in that direction. So when there's a way to kind of talk something up big and sort of sell it and hype it up, I just kind of find that to be kind of a fun thing to do. Uh, I just like making life more fun. I like making life more interesting. And if there's a way to do that, I'm always kind of in favor of it. And admittedly, even though that's my nature and even though that's kind of where I'm always looking to go, sometimes in life, being your sort of carnival barker-ish, you know, loud uh, ringmaster type, you know, uh, you know, you know, sort of personality, it's not always as easy as you'd like for it to be to kind of bring some of that kind of stuff out. There are some things in life that are just not as easy of a sell as others might be. And honesty compels me to admit right now that Georgia's game on Saturday, even for a carnival barker by nature, is not necessarily the easiest sell in the world, to be completely honest. It's not Oregon to begin the season like it was a year ago. It's not Clemson to begin the season like it will be next year, like it was two years ago. It's UT Martin. Now, listen, a lot of Georgia fans are looking forward to being back between the hedges again, and that's kind of all you really need, seeing friends they perhaps only see a few times uh, you know, during the year for those Georgia home games, there's a lot of, you know, kind of intrigue about just a return to college football. We've been waiting for months for it. So perhaps that's its own sell and perhaps that's all you need. But in terms of the game, in terms of the opponent, you know, even a carnival barker has a little bit of a hard time saying this is why the UT Martin game matters. If I tried to do that, most of you'd kind of roll your eyes and say, PA, you're trying a little too hard there on that. Maybe sometimes we do try too hard, but on this, We're going to try not to try too hard if you get my drift there on that. But when you look at Saturday and you look at why it's interesting, I thought Georgia's best and most important player, Brock Bowers, probably did a pretty good job of kind of showing you where the stakes are, showing you where the interest and intrigue for this game possibly is. And for Bowers, a lot of this centers around the debut of Georgia starting quarterback Carson Beck. It'll be our first time to see him at the helm there on Saturday. And when Brock Bowers met with the media yesterday and Bowers is obviously not the world's you know most like willing orator he's not out there you know giving you TED talks for all these answers but he is willing to be honest and he's willing to share his perspective I think his perspective is pretty interesting in terms of the growth he's already seen from Carson Beck as Beck has stepped into and evolved into the role of being the Georgia starting quarterback and also where he would like to see Carson Beck go from here. So these are relatively short clips, but I want to play them for you. First of all, uh, Brock Bowers, his evaluation of Carson Beck and the confidence that Beck has developed in himself as he has become the Georgia starting quarterback. This is the eyewitness account of Brock Bowers, who spoke to the media yesterday. Take a listen to this. Yeah, I think a big thing for him was uh, the confidence, I guess, that he developed through fall camp. And I feel like he just got faster and uh, faster at, like, making his reads. And uh, just, I mean, more reps you take, the better you're going to be. So I think that that helped him a lot. And, like, the confidence thing is a huge deal for him. 
So Brock Bowers, who obviously expects to be delivered the football a lot from Carson Beck this year, says, hey, when I look in on Carson Beck, I see a guy who's grown in confidence. And that confidence has allowed him to play faster, to operate quicker uh, as a player. And that's kind of an interesting assessment from Bowers. And yet one of the media members who was there upon hearing this wanted to go a little deeper in this. So when you say confidence, tell me a little bit more about exactly what you have seen and exactly how this confidence has sort of manifested itself and in trying to explain it Brock Bauer says something that I believe probably pretty closely matches the feelings of all Georgia fans about the debut of Carson Beck on Saturday here once again is Brock Bowers going into more detail about specifically how that confidence shows up for Carson Beck here's Brock again from yesterday I feel like he just is playing the game faster and at like faster pace, I guess. That's what he needs to be doing to just play quarterback here. So I'm excited to see what he'll do Saturday and this year. I mean, isn't that at the end? I mean, that's what it is, right? Hey, uh, Brock Bauer says, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what this guy does. And for a carnival barker like me, for a ringmaster hype man like me, if you really want to sell Saturday's game, if you're making the movie poster of it or like the wrestling pay-per-view poster, you know, if you're doing things like that, if you're really trying to like – you know, you know, give yourself the, I guess, the, the, the best sell job on why this game matters. Hey, I'm excited to see how good Carson Beck is and what kind of glimpse that gives us of what Carson Beck can be for this upcoming season. Bowers, who plays with him, says he wants to see it. And in saying that, I believe that, that Brock Bowers also reflects the feelings of Georgia fans who very much feel the same way. And part of the reason we feel that way is because, obviously, it's Carson Beck who has big shoes to fill, and we know the success that Stetson Bennett enjoyed. And uh, Beck has a chance to introduce himself nationally with the way that he performs here in the early portion of the season. But some of this is also related specifically to the specific skill set that Carson Beck seems to possess. He's, after all, you know, for the most part, a very different type of quarterback than what Stetson Bennett is. Bennett was this kind of swashbuckler who at times would just sort of take off and run, had 10 rushing touchdowns a year ago. Big part of that Georgia offense is what Bennett did with his legs. He was always so interesting and exciting because at any moment he might take off and make some sort of highlight play with his wheels that that had a chance to to change a game for Georgia. And for Beck, not to say that he's unathletic, but for Beck, it may be more about his ability to kind of process what's going on his comprehension skills he understands the offense we're led to believe he understands what to do with the football we're led to believe in fact Kirby Smart talking yesterday you know oftentimes for a quarterback like Beck who's becoming the Georgia starting quarterback he might take a lot of extra value from having a center like Cedric Von Parn Granger who seemingly has been playing at Georgia since the 1980s and 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 you know somebody like that who's just played a million snaps and played in a ton of games that that might be a security blanket for a fresh brand new starting quarterback such as Carson Beck but to kind of accentuate the point I was making a moment ago that Beck's understanding the offense is so strong that Kirby Smart says you know what I don't know that a, a center like uh, Van Praan means as much to a quarterback like Carson Beck because Carson Beck has a really good idea already of what he wants to do that 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 his his competency increases his confidence perhaps uh, Kirby Smart talking about that very point yesterday when he met with the media it's probably overrated because Carson understands fronts coverages pressures he can ID protections he can point runs he can do a lot of different things so he doesn't have to rely on uh Cedric like maybe a new quarterback would because I don't really just I don't see Carson that way he, he 
he understands it, he gets it, he's had a ton of reps. So I think the, the, the fact that he's got somebody that's played uh, in big moments, someone that snapped the ball in tough environments is comforting. But as far as what Cedric provides for, for Carson, it's probably reassurance. And it certainly sounds like the guy that Kirby's talking about in reference to Carson Beck there, Cedric Von Prong Granger, his center, sounds like he sort of sees things the same way. He obviously plays right in front of Carson Beck, and if anybody understands the mission and the job that the Georgia offense is trying to do, it is a guy like Van Prong right now. And the kind of knowledge, the understanding of the offense, the ability to know what to do with the football and when to do it, that Kirby Smart says that he's seen from Carson Beck. Cedric Von Prong Granger, who knows it all after how long he's been around, he says he sees some of the th- same things there as well. Let me let you hear SVP talking about the debut of Carson Beck. Once again, this is from yesterday. I think one thing that Carson does well um, is really just recognizing uh, coverages. I think he does that pretty well um, in making anticipatory throws. I think that's one thing that he really does well. Um, it's understanding the concept they're in, understanding what the defense is in, and kind of, I don't want to say predetermining, but uh, I guess having an idea of where the ball should go. So um, I think he does a really good job of doing that, and I think that he does an amazing job of, you know, every once in a while, even though he's not a, a very vocal guy, he's not the guy that's going to go out there and yell at everybody, but when the time is needed and he feels like he has to step up, I think he does a good job of making sure he's that guy for the offense. So Brock Bauer says, hey, I'm really excited to see about how good Carson Beck can be this year. Most Georgia fans already agree with that. But when you hear Kirby Smart saying what he said, Cedric Von Prong Granger saying what he said, I think it only increases the anticipation for the debut of Beck on Saturday. But let's put a frame around this a little bit. Let's kind of talk about specifically what it is we'd like to see, both in terms of the challenge that awaits Beck and the first step he can take towards meeting the expectations that are in place for him and this Georgia offense. There is still one thing I think about Georgia that I don't believe has properly been appreciated about the success that Georgia's enjoyed the last couple of years. I think it somehow is sort of weirdly has been more appreciated now that Todd Munkin's no longer here and now that Stetson Bennett's no longer here. It probably should have been appreciated more in the moment, but at least it's starting to be recognized some. But there is a thing that Georgia led the nation in a year ago. And I swear to you, you could be in a bar or at a tailgate or, you know, day on the lake or whatever else with a bunch of really good college football fans. And even in like a room full of people who follow the sport pretty closely, I don't even think they would necessarily know this. It's just one of those things that kind of hides in plain sight. We have talked so much and justifiably so about the success of the Georgia defense over the course of the last couple of years. Do you know that last year and listen, When I can make something simple, I really try hard to because if it gets too complicated, I can't understand it. So when I can make something simple, I want to. Let me me just sort of state for you in very, very simple terms about how successful Georgia's offense was last season. Do you know that last year Georgia led the country in plays of 20 or more yards on offense with 98 plays last year of 20 or more yards? No team in the country had more than that than Georgia did a year ago that's how good the Georgia offense was it was happening all throughout the year last year and at times it almost just seemed like the people didn't notice it because they were too busy looking at all the other stuff but that's the kind of explosive offense that Georgia had and that's why Carson Beck has such big shoes to fill this year because when you look at a game like Ohio State Georgia needed all of that explosiveness to win that game to win the shootout and then move on and win the national championship Georgia needed the explosive plays last year it got it and now for 2023 as Georgia seeks to go for three in 23 we're left to wonder 
can it do that again? So when you talk about the excitement, the interest of Carson Beck and his debut as the Georgia quarterback, this to me is where he shows up. This to me is what his value to the Georgia offense will be demonstrated by. How many of these 20-plus yard plays can he create? And if you look at 98 stretched over the course of a 15-game season, that means you need about seven per game. Now, against Tennessee Martin, you might say, well, you should have more than seven because the opponent is perceived to be weaker, but it's also kind of a weird type of game, and who knows who's playing by the time you get to the second half or whatever else, and plus Georgia has a tendency to play better against the best teams that it plays anyway. So let's just keep it simple and straightforward. That if you want to get back to 98, if you want 98 plays of 20 or more yards by the time the season's done, you need about seven per game. So let's watch this close on Saturday. It's the debut of Carson Beck. Everybody wants to know, can he be the kind of quarterback for Georgia that gives this team the kind of offense it had a year ago? And by the way, can Mike Bobo, who's helping uh, Carson Beck in this regard, can he be a coordinator equal to the diabolical genius that at times Todd Munkin appeared to be? Once again, that number seven tells you a big tale on this. If you see seven plays on Saturday, or more than that, at least seven, if you see seven plays on Saturday of 20 or more yards, then what you're seeing is an offense that could very well be on pace to be as explosive as the dog's offense was a year ago, and that could certainly be a very good thing. Now, before we kind of get back and talk more about the uh, situation with the team on the field, I do want to shift gears here to something completely different here for a moment, and unfortunately, it is sad news on our program today but i want to make sure we take our moment to pray uh proper respects here sonny siler who really is a legendary figure around the georgia program uh he has passed away we'll show you here a, a nice graphic that georgia put together to celebrate his life born in 1933 obviously passed away uh, just yesterday uh siler as many of you know is the owner of the georgia mascot called uh Ugga. And he's been that way since 1956. He's kind of started the Ugga tradition and has maintained that tradition going back to the 1950s. And really just a guy that led a phenomenally interesting life. Obviously, when you think about the idea of being a DGD, certainly the Siler family is right there and all of that. Been heavily involved in so many of the athletic affairs of Georgia and academic type stuff there too. Really distinguished uh, life in terms of his connection to the University of Georgia If you've ever either read the book, which I believe came out in the 1990s, or seen the movie that came out in the early 2000s, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, also lived a fascinating life as a Savannah attorney. It really, it's worth going back to either watch the movie or read the book or something like that, because uh, when it comes to like the, the Jim Williams murder trial in the house, the big Williams Mercer house is in downtown Savannah. You can see it. It's a just a castle of a house that's right there in the city of savannah it's crazy story i can't even recount the whole thing but but uh mr seiler was uh an attorney in that in that case incredibly interesting incredibly fascinating if you like sort of like sort of gothic southern type tales this is definitely one of the better ones that's probably ever been written and it's based on obviously a true story so he had a phenomenally interesting life and made such a large contribution to georgia when it comes to his uh, stewardship of the uh, mascot we all love and know uh called Ugga uh just incredibly sad here today so to the entire Siler family and obviously everybody connected with UGA who has known the Siler family and uh Mr. Siler himself here uh we certainly send you our prayers and we mean that sincerely obviously a lot of our lives have been made more enjoyable because of Ugga and uh the Siler family uh led by Sonny Siler their great patriarch has um 
contributed to a lot of our lives. So we certainly uh, wish uh, condolences on his passing. And I know that George is going to have more details coming up. The expectation is the Ugga will be at the game there on Saturday. And obviously more details to come out later on about how the life of Mr. Siler is going to be celebrated here. So we certainly uh, send prayers and really a celebration of a life well lived, certainly, and a big part of our family, a true DGD. Condolences today on the passing of Sonny Siler. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And as you're watching on video, you see we are debuting the brand new logo for Go for Three and 23 today. So happy to have this out here today, and just uh, so appreciative of everybody who's going to help put this together for us, and Andrew Whalen and Casey Dunn, and Michael Carvel, who gets it on the screen there for us on our on our desk. Just so appreciative of everybody there on that. Big, big thanks to everybody. And really, really excited about the mission to go for three in 23 here this year. For those of you who join us video, podcast, radio, we're happy to have you here. And a big thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making it all possible. You know, Engineered Solutions of Georgia is my foundation and waterproofing company. I'm happy to have them as a part of what we do. They're also proud partners of UGA there, too. So, when you do business with them, just know you're doing business with a company that supports the dogs. And that always feels good to support those who support UGA, but they're also longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily there as well. So I certainly personally thank you for what you do uh, on our behalf when you do business with them there too. And listen, they're also well-equipped to help you solve one of the more significant problems you may face when it comes to your home. You know about foundation waterproofing issues? They're the ones that can help you with all of that because, let's face it, when you see the water creeping in where it's not supposed to be, basement, crawl space, garage, when you see the cracks in the walls, the sheetrock, the kind of sort of stair-step-looking cracks you sometimes see in the brick, you know that can be the sign of a, of a problem. It's the sort of the telltale sign that ought to get your mind thinking. You ought to get you remembering and recalling the fact that, oh, yeah, BA said if I see this, Engineered Solutions of Georgia is the uh, company I want to reach out to and call. And the reason why I'm so confident in telling you that you ought to do that is because they are a solutions-based company. And when it comes to sometimes the kind of substantial work that may need to be done in a situation like this, they've got an entire team of engineers on staff to help you figure out what's going on and figure out how to make it better. Now, sometimes it's not a big fix. Sometimes it's a simple thing. If that be the case, then Engineered Solutions of Georgia's got no problem telling you exactly that. Uh, they'll be happy to tell you how to make a simple fix to a simple problem. But if it's more complicated, then you want smart people doing complicated work. That just makes sense. So please give my friends an Engineered Solutions of Georgia call, 678-ESOG-NOW. That's the phone number. Simply dial 678-ESOG-NOW. Also, don't forget that Engineered Solutions of Georgia also offers a fully transferable pr- triple protection warranty on materials, installation, and design. Proud partners of UGA, longtime friends of ours on Dog Nation Daily. Make sure you give Engineered Solutions of Georgia a call. 678-ESOG. Now, that is the number to dial for Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, so coming up here in a couple of minutes, we're going to catch up with Connor Riley. Fun conversation to be had with him as we look at the start to game week for Georgia yesterday. Got a chance to hear from a couple of Georgia players. Got a chance to hear from Georgia coach Kirby Smart. Kind of laying the groundwork on some of what is to come for Georgia here this week and then this season. Uh, Connor will help us cover all of that here coming up in just a moment. But to set the stage for Connor's appearance, I also want to go around the doghouse here today. And I think sometimes what Georgia's not doing 
is probably as interesting sometimes as what it is doing. And I kind of want to explain that by talking about what may be one of the more significant issues facing Georgia ahead of its game against Tennessee Martin on Saturday. And that's the fact that the injury list for the dogs is starting to get longer and longer and longer and longer. And some of the status for some of these players has kind of remained sort of unknown for a little bit of time here. Maybe that's uh, the most true maybe there's position there's no position that where that's more true right now for Georgia than at the running back spot where we know that Branson Robinson now out for the year obviously other injuries have kind of lingered here a bit such as the one for uh, Kendall Milton a little bit for Dejon Edwards there as well some reports coming out of practice about that the other day uh, the point is is that when Kirby Smart did meet with the reporters yesterday he did take some time to sort of address kind of where things stand with all of this right now and the overall tone was perhaps more hopeful than not, I guess. This is Kirby Smart talking about his injured running backs when he met with the media yesterday. Well, we're looking at everybody running back. We're going to try to find the best way possible to get um, the ball in the hands of the playmakers. Uh, but to answer your question specifically, uh, Dejan was dealing with an MCL. He had one uh, last year, um, but he's actually doing great. Uh, I think he's going to be able to practice and, and do everything today. So we feel good about Dejan's status. He uh, it, it happened in the second scrimmage, and so I don't know what that date was, but um, would have been, you know, I guess a week ago Saturday. Um, and he's he's bounced back pretty good from that, so he looks good. Kendall has been dealing with a hamstring most of almost all of camp. Um, he feels you know 80 90 percent. And uh, we're hopeful to get him back uh, today as well in terms of uh, practicing and taking reps. The volume they do, we have to be careful of because they haven't been uh, in the heat as much as the other guys in the last week. But we feel good about both those guys. I feel good about Andrew Paul. Rod Robinson's had a great camp. Cash has had a good camp. Um, Really got a a bunch of guys who've repped and, and done some good things there. So Kirby Smart says, I actually feel pretty good about the running back situation right now. I wish Dejan Edwards and Kendall Milton were fully healthy. But overall, Kirby Smart strikes a more hopeful tone than not when he discusses his running backs. In fact, you know, there had been some reporting out there that Georgia was considering using Dylan Bell, who's certainly the kind of wide receiver who looks like a running back and has been, I guess, doing that at practice, you know, using Dylan Bell as a running back. But for now, when it comes to game action, at least, that's not something that Kirby Smart feels like Georgia necessarily needs to do with Bell. This is what Smart said about that yesterday. Dylan, we need Dylan at wide out. We need Dylan on special teams. Um, Dylan has had a really good camp in terms of being a wide receiver. He played that some in high school, so that's something he's done before. But, you know, the way offenses are nowadays, you can get your touches a lot of ways. Um, and we've got a lot of plays uh, that involve perimeter blocking, direct runs, perimeter runs. I mean, as a defensive coach, every offensive play has three plays on it. So it could be a direct run with this and this. And in those ways, you can get a lot of people touches. So that would be the plan. But I feel good about the backs we have. I feel a lot better if Dejon and, and Kendall are 100%. But uh, we'll see where they are today. So, in other words, Dylan Bell, perhaps the kind of player who could play running back, but Kirby Smart says there, at least when it comes to games, we don't feel like we need to do that with him there right now. And as I said before, sometimes what you don't do is as interesting as what you do do. And, you know, look, we've all had our concerns with the Georgia running back spot. You know, clearly the Branson Robinson season ending injury and the lingering issue for Milton kind of contribute to that a little bit. But just notice this. 
that Georgia isn't so panicked right now. They feel like they need to move somebody else and put them over there. I know that Brock Bowers kind of jokingly talked yesterday about he'd be like to play running back if they give him a chance to, which we believe that Brock Bowers could probably do because we believe that Brock Bowers could probably do just about anything. But for now, Kirby Smart's not saying, I don't know that we necessarily need to do that. We're kind of watching Edwards Milton come back to health. And other than that, we, you know, we kind of feel okay here. And I remind you, it was a couple of what Fridays ago, or at least a couple of weeks ago, I forget when, but we sort of said when it comes to Del McGee, who had spoken to reporters and with all the questions and concerns that exist for the Georgia running backs, there's always that one area in which a lot of Georgia fans will kind of rightly or wrongly sort of zero in on and lock their radar on that becomes the massive concern. And sometimes when you kind of, when you when you zoom in on something too closely sometimes you have a tendency to sort of blow it up bigger than it's supposed to be and perhaps maybe some of the running back stuff has been magnified to a point that it's now larger than it necessarily needs to be del mcgee told us a couple of weeks ago when he was asked about this kind of stuff that he was actually still very confident in his running back situation now, at that point in time branson robinson hadn't dealt with the injury that's going to keep him in all season long but the confidence that McGee expressed then probably shouldn't be completely dismissed now just because Branson Robinson is hurt. Now, I believe that Saturday is likely to be a, a bit of an extension of what we saw back at G-Day, where we just don't get much of the Georgia running game. In terms of the guys who are going to be your season-long contributors, whether they put on uniforms and play or not, they're likely, maybe I would guess, not to play very much. So in terms of getting your full snapshot of what the Georgia running back situation is, Saturday may not be a day in which we get to do that because right now Georgia doesn't necessarily need to do that. This is all about getting ready for South Carolina and then a couple of weeks after that, getting ready for Auburn and then the rest of the stretch drive that comes after that. Kirby Smart says, we feel pretty good about running back. Del McGee before has said, I'm pretty confident in this group here right now as well. So for Georgia fans, it probably stands as the biggest overall concern but perhaps that concern should be alleviated somewhat by the fact that the coaches seem to be kind of okay with this situation, despite the fact that there are some injuries that exist. That is Around the Doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily. And before we bring on Connor Riley, I do want to give a quick shout out here to a big event we have coming up on Thursday. I want you to be here. I want you to be a part of it. It's going to be a great time. Our brand new show, known as the Dog Nation Happy Hour, which is obviously hosted by our uh, newest uh, friend and employee, Kaylee Manzel. Well, it's going to be live from the Marlowe's in Brookhaven. I'm going to be there. Some of the other folks from Dog Nation are going to be there, too. We're going to start at 5 p.m. for kind of a happy hour type situation. And then at 6 p.m., we're going to get going with a live broadcast, which is a different time than the normal Dog Nation happy hour time. But because we're there for happy hour and having a good time, we're going to do all of that on Thursday. So 5 p.m. for a happy hour get together, 6 p.m. for a live broadcast. It's the Dog Nation happy hour presented by Marlowe's Tavern at Marlowe's Tavern, the Brookhaven location. You can go to dognation.com, get more information there on this. But just please know it's going to be a great time. We're going to hopefully see you there. We're all going to be there. And I have been told that on Thursday, for the folks who are there, we are going to make a big announcement. And I'm actually really excited about this. This is one of those things that's been in the works for a while. And I do truly believe this is going to count as a big announcement. Sometimes I say fun announcement, but when it's announcements big enough, I'll say it's a big announcement. On Thursday, live from the Marlowe's in Brookhaven, we're going to make what I believe is a big announcement. So we'll tell you more about that then. But we hope you'll join us for it live at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven for Dog Nation Happy Hour coming up on Thursday. Okay, before we're done, uh, one of the bigger names in college football for this upcoming year, 
uh, kind of also got off to a big start on Saturday, has said some interesting things about some of Georgia's biggest rivals. We'll talk about what this is all about. And Kirby Smart has perhaps said his final word on the notion of go for three in 23 before the mission is complete. So we'll cover both those things with you here. But for now, the latest on injuries, the outlook for Carson back, and everything else going on around with Georgia football. Let's cover it all with Connor Riley here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Say hello to Connor Riley. Good coverage from him in Athens yesterday, and really every day, of course. But uh, as Georgia begins its first game week of the 2023 season, and Connor, I was just talking about what Kirby Smart said about the running back situation yesterday. We can also broaden this out a little bit, too. You know, the loss and Lucky, the confirmation, if we needed it, uh, confirmation that he had the tightrope uh, surgery, uh, you know, you got, you know, some of the stuff going on with defensive back. Obviously, the smile modern injury uh, going to kind of linger here for a little while there as well. I guess where my mind is now, since we last spoke a week ago, to me, that injury list for Georgia starting to look a little bit longer. And the status for some of these guys starting to feel a little, I, I guess, less certain. I'm not telling you it's a calamity or anything like that. But I do believe that here on this game week that you know injuries are a little more of a problem for Georgia right now than I probably wish that they were what was your kind of take on the overall health of Georgia moving into this season opening situation on Saturday yeah I think there's two ways to look at this uh, on the one hand I think if they're playing a bigger name opponent if they're playing in Oklahoma this week if they're playing a Clemson this week you probably think you're going to see a Kendall Milton certainly going to see a Dejon Edwards we may see Dejon Edwards regardless of the opponent Kamari Lasseter as well, maybe even Shmah Munden there. Maybe they're pushing them a little bit farther to see if they can get back on the field for a marquee game. But because it's UT Martin and because Georgia is such a big favorite in this game, that they're going to perhaps be more cautious knowing that getting these guys as close to 100% as they can is more important than necessarily having them out there for the first game. And so, you know, look, injuries happen throughout the season. Georgia's going to lose a very valuable contributor at some point this year. That's just the game of football. There are injuries in every single game. And so I think this is a good test early in the season. Well, for with the exception of Branson Robinson, you know, all these guys are expected to come back during the month of September at the latest. And so I think you, know, you get to see what you have at certain positions. Specifically, you know, we'll talk about the cornerback spot. Kamari Lasseter, if he doesn't play, Georgia's going to get a longer runway to look at Julian Humphrey, Dalen Everett, Nylon Green, all those guys, and sort of see, okay, how do these guys stack up as you know, guys that are going to be out there a lot? Because as you know, Georgia doesn't traditionally rotate their cornerbacks a whole lot. They sort of leave them out there. And so you know, none of those guys have really truly separated at this point, and so they're going to get a chance to get an extra look at them. Xavier Sori is a guy that's going to get rewarded for having a great offseason and maybe get a chance to carve out a bigger role for himself uh, because of the fact that Shemar Munden is injured to start the season. So there are pros and cons to this, and while, yes, the list is a little bit longer, I think you know more of these guys are playing this week if Georgia is playing a bigger-name opponent than UT Martin. And along those lines, I'm actually starting to feel a little bit better about the running back situation. I thought that Kirby's words yesterday were more hopeful than not. Dell McGee flat out said a couple of weeks ago that he is confident in his running backs. That was prior to the Branson Robinson injury, so maybe you downgrade that a bit now. But 
you know, it seems like to go back to your thing of, well, if Georgia's playing Oregon or Clemson or something like that week one, perhaps that Georgia makes some different kind of decisions with the players that it has available. And for now, hey, maybe you don't have much of a reason to to rush a Kendall or a Dejon Edwards out there for a whole bunch of snaps in a game that ultimately just probably doesn't matter all that much. And and maybe perhaps that behind the scenes they think these guys can still be, you know, healthier when it really matters. And this Georgia running game can resemble what we kind of expect a Georgia running game to look like. It is probably, to me, still the biggest concern, but maybe it's not as quite a big a concern as perhaps I sort of thought it was a week, 10, two, you know, 10 days ago, two weeks ago. Uh, is that your reflection on that or, or perhaps different? Yeah, my, my running back concern, it's not a game one. It's not a game three. It's not a game five concern. It's, you know, our Dejan Edwards, and Kendall Milton and Andrew Paul, Cash Jones, Roger Robinson, are those guys healthy and playing their best going into the SEC championship week, going into potentially the college football playoff? Uh, I think injuries are going to be something that follow this running back room throughout the season. We saw that even last year. You know, Kirby Smart offered yesterday that Dejon Edwards was dealing with an MCL sprain during the season. Kenny McIntosh had a thigh bruise. Kendall Milton missed time with a groin injury. Running backs just naturally pick up injuries easier. And when you're already this thin, down to four scholarship running backs, and yes, I know Cash Jones is going to play a role. I know that they've experimented with Dylan Bell and Brock Bowers, possibly in certain packages, working as a running back. And I'm not saying Bowers is going to run between the tackles, but using him for his pass-catching ability there, I think it's something that they've experimented with. And so with that in mind, yeah, they're having to get creative there, but you go back and look at the last two seasons, the one-score games that Georgia's been in during the regular season anyway, uh, Clemson in 2021, Missouri in 2022, Georgia won those games because at the end of the game, they needed to go on a long drive to chew up clock and end the game, and they were able to do that because they had running backs that were consistently able to pick up five, six, seven yards at a time and chew the clock there. I think Dejon Edwards can do that. I know Kendall Milton is talented enough to do that. The big question is, are they going to be there on the field in those biggest moments for Georgia because of their health? Uh, it's not a talent issue for me when it comes to this top end. It's just on a week-to-week basis, are they going to be in a spot to where they are able to help this team out? Uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to know that going into each and every week, and it is truly going to be a week-to-week thing with this position this well, year. All along those lines, one of the things we've talked about around here is is I don't think we've properly considered the fact that Stetson Bennett had 10 rushing touchdowns for Georgia a year ago. That's theoretically 70 points, which is theoretically five points per game that Georgia scored exclusively because of Stetson Bennett a year ago. So if you want to be as good an offense as you were, 41 points per game, you know, you take five points per game off that total from a year ago, now you're more like a top 15 scoring offense as opposed to like a top five scoring offense. It's a pretty big difference in terms of the rushing touchdown, uh, you know, production that Stetson provided a year ago. So if you want those 10 touchdowns back, that means that, Carson either got to throw for 10 more than Stetson did a year ago or the running backs have to run for 10 more than they did the previous year there too so my point here is if you're evaluating the Georgia running backs some of this is also not only can you match what the Georgia running game gave you a year ago but can you also match the rushing total that Stetson Bennett put together specifically in the in, in the touchdown department because if you want to be as productive as you were a year ago those touchdowns have to be replaced Right, and with this, with the exception of the, I think, 60-yarder against Auburn, you look at where those touchdowns primarily occurred. You know, 
definitely inside the red zone. Maybe one or two were just outside the red zone where, you know, from anyone that watches football, it's just harder to score touchdowns there. When you have a player like Stetson Bennett who's able to use his legs and convert those short-yarded situations into points, I think is critical to success. And so it's going to be interesting this season, specifically with the red zone. We hear Kirby Smart talk so much about, you know, execution in that area of the field when it comes to deciding on Georgia's quarterback. How do they go about replacing those 10 rushing touchdowns? Because I think, you know, you're asking Carson Beck to make tighter window throws, which he certainly can, but that just becomes a little bit trickier in that area of the field. And, look, sometimes, you know, they can just throw enough bodies out there at you to where it is a little bit tougher to score in goal line or go to goal-to-go situations there. So I absolutely agree with you that that is something that they're going to have to figure out. And, you know, maybe they're a more explosive offense this year and they're not in the red zone quite as much. I think with what they have in the passing game, they get a full 15 games out of Arian Smith. I got a feeling that they're going to be in the red zone a little bit less this year simply because they've got a more explosive offense. But if this offense is similar to what we saw a season ago, I think that's certainly a major concern and something for Georgia to figure out and certainly something to watch during the early season. You know, last year it was an issue for them. You think back to the Kent State game, you think back to Sanford, even in those Missouri games, Georgia struggled in terms of finding red zone touchdowns. And so I think that's something that early on is certainly going to be something to watch with Carson Beck and with this running game. I think that's an outstanding point, I really do. And speaking of Beck, let's transition to him. I think the most interesting thing about Saturday is Carson's debut as a starting quarterback. I can't even think of something that would be even close to that, to be frank. And what I said before you joined us is, the thing that Beck's been praised for is his knowledge of the offense. He won this quarterback competition because we're led to believe, and I've had people confirm this, that he just knows the offense so much better. He, he, just, he just knows what to do with the football or the decisions to make. That's just really his deciding factor that leads him to be the Georgia starting quarterback. And for those of us who are not – you know, going to be in there. You know, grind. You know, you know, watching all kinds of you know, uh, you know, film on this or something like that. The, the simplest way this sort of shows up is, hey, last year Georgia led the country in 98 plays of 20 or more yards. And if you know the offense, you're pushing the right button to create a similar level of explosive plays for this team here this year, which averages about seven plays of 20 or more yards per game to me in sort of simple terms that's what I believe you're looking for from Carson Beck I don't care who the opponent is this is probably by far and away the worst opponent that Georgia will play here this year but can you go out there can you produce whether it's checking into a running play or where you throw the ball or really whatever just any kind of play can you produce explosive plays as a starting quarterback there on Saturday because no one in the country is better at doing that than Georgia was a year ago and to me that's the task awaiting Beck for this year too Connor right and you know I think having just touched on some of the concerns we have with this running game you're gonna look for this passing offense to be even more explosive and so I think that's why the emergence of Dominic Lovett the fact that he has stuck so well as a transfer early on. I think it's such an important thing for this offense. We know Rad McConkey can make big plays. We know if healthy Arian Smith is going to be able to do that. Adding another player like Dominic Lovett to this offense who has shown capabilities of stretching the field and making those types of explosive plays aren't just going to make things easier for Carson Beck in terms of that deep passing game, but you know, that's going to open things up underneath for Brock Bowers. And yes, he is still you know, the main focal point for opposing defenses, but if you're having, if your safeties are having to worry about getting beat deep by Ladd, by Dominic Lovett, by Arian Smith, that is just in some ways naturally going to open things up underneath, certainly for Brock Bowers, but even for guys like Marcus Rosen, Jack Saint, 
Dylan Bell, Oscar Delp there as well. And, and so I, I think the geometry of the field this year for Georgia is tilted in a way to where they are going to have the opportunities to be more explosive. And yes, Carson Beck is going to have to hit on those deep throws. He's going to have to be the guy that steps up and makes those. But I think with the way that this offense is tailored this year, obviously the running back situation isn't ideal right now. But with what Carson Beck does well, I think this offense is uniquely situated to get the most out of his skill set to where, you know, he he doesn't have the cannon like Josh Allen type arm. But he's a guy that can make downfield throws and really thrive in that intermediate zone. And I think that's, you know, the Georgia offense is really set up this year to thrive in that area, much like it did for most of last season as well. What else can Georgia accomplish on Saturday, you think, Connor? You know, I'm interested in seeing what this defense looks like, specifically in terms of getting after the passer. You know, they only had 35 sacks a season ago, which was a step down from where they were in 2021. And we've heard a lot of chatter about this defensive line. You know, Kirby sees it one way, the members of that defensive line see the other way. And if they're able to get pressure simply by not blitzing a whole lot, and I don't know how exotic Georgia is going to be in terms of its blitz packages in this game, if you're seeing Michael Williams get home by winning one-on-one, Nas Stackhouse winning up the middle, yes, it's an inferior opponent, but if you're doing that against lesser opponents, I think that gives you confidence to where you can do that when you do ultimately match up against a South Carolina, an Auburn, a Tennessee there. We've seen in the past that if Georgia needs to dial up pressure, they can do it via the blitz. You know, I think the Tennessee game last year really proved that. Certainly that was the case in the Ohio State game, but Georgia doesn't always want to rely on that. And so if we're able to see this defensive line, this defensive front really, if you include edge rushers like Marvin Jones and in certain situations Jalen Walker, if we're able to see them get pressure, I think that's an encouraging start for the season because I think you know the ability for this defensive front to get pressure is going to determine the ultimate ceiling for this Georgia team. Because, yes, we know that you know if needed, Georgia's going to blitz Jamon Dumas-Johnson, Smaamon Dinsbaby, and Sorry. They'll probably get home and, and pick up some sacks there. But if they're able to get pressure with the defensive front like they were in 2021, I think that raises the ceiling of what this defense can ultimately be. Now, we're going to have to see Georgia do that in bigger and better games. But that is something that I'm at least in the first half sort of looking forward to watching and seeing how not only do those guys do, but how that unit is deployed. I want to finish with this. I've had the anticipation for a while that we would spend most of the first two weeks, especially on the Mondays after these weekends, would be tempted to talk more about Georgia rivals than we would be about Georgia because of who Georgia's playing. And there'll be interesting, you know, playing time divvied up and who does what. There'll be plenty to break down from the games. I'm not trying to say there won't be, but I I sort of feel like some of the other stuff for week one may be more interesting to Georgia fans by and large. When you think about the team that Georgia played in the SEC championship a year ago, LSU playing against Florida State, and obviously a team like Florida going out to play Utah on Thursday. This may be especially true in week two when uh, you know when, when you see Alabama taking on Texas. But looking at week one here for a moment, Connor, you know, what are the biggest week one storylines in your mind? And when you kind of broaden beyond just Athens, Georgia here, what is the most interesting things that are likely to happen in the sports first full weekend back here? Yeah, so obviously I think that Florida State LSU game is going to be really, really important. Both of those teams have been mentioned as college football playoff potential teams. I think even it was either you or Mike Griffith had both LSU and Florida State making the college football playoff in our uh, Dog Nation preseason picks there. And one of those teams, I think, is going to start the season off on a great note and really sort of validate the offseason hype. I kind of wonder if the team that loses that game maybe spirals out a little bit and doesn't go on to have the season we all think that they're going to have. 
The other game that interests me a whole lot, it's that Thursday night Florida-Utah game. Uh, and as we get closer and closer to this, look, we've talked a lot about Florida this offseason. I think this is a really, really important season for Billy Napier. He has to find more success than he did a season ago. If they go 6-7 and seven or worse again this year, uh, things I think are going to start getting more and more difficult for Napier, even with the recruiting success that they've had. But this is a Utah team that they don't always start the season well. I don't think Florida's going to be afraid going into Utah, uh, given some of the environments that they see. And the Cam Rising quarterback injury is something to monitor there. And I think Florida's going to try and shorten this game. I think it favors them that they're playing sort of this underdog role, which you know, there's a larger discussion to be had about why Florida is ever an underdog to a team like Utah. Certainly one of seven points I think is a little befuddling. But I think that they're set up going into this game, that they're playing with house money, and I think that they can sort of, you know, go out there and make maybe a little bit of a statement and, and go out there and say, hey, like, yeah, we're not one of the premier SEC teams, but we can go out there and knock off a top 15 team in Utah and maybe say that, hey, like, yeah, on a week-in, week-out basis, this may not be the greatest Florida team ever, but in a one-off scenario, much like when they'll see Georgia later on in this season coming off of a bye week and having time to really plan for a marquee opponent, they got a chance to show what they can do when given some time to prepare. I really find it interesting, and I agree with almost everything you say there, but I really find it interesting. I don't think people are talking nearly enough about South Carolina and North Carolina, the game that's going to be played in Charlotte. First of all, from a point spread standpoint, that's one of our you know, more compelling games, you know, two power five, you know, level teams, uh, you know, you know, you know, uh, two teams that have a little bit of history against each other and from a Georgia perspective you know Connor this is a South Carolina team now admittedly I'm a little higher on South Carolina than almost anybody else is it seems like but with the way they concluded last year's regular season getting the Tennessee win getting the Clemson win if they were to win this game against North Carolina they're slightly less than a field goal underdog here right now but I think that creates a scenario in which Georgia South Carolina in a couple of weeks has a lot more juice around it than maybe some would have initially anticipated. Now maybe they don't win. Uh, you know, obviously Drake May is a really good quarterback, but I think there's a way in which South Carolina North Carolina is not only a really fun game to watch, but it actually creates a little bit more of a compelling reason to be excited about another Georgia game that right now is not necessarily on anybody's radar. Yeah, if South Carolina wins this weekend, they'll be ranked coming into Athens on September 16th. They played Furman in Week 2 in South Carolina. I think they're like 26th, 27th. They're just outside that top 25 there. And, you know, I think part of the reason there are some skeptics out there, and I do think that maybe South Carolina, and I agree with you, that it's maybe better than they're getting credit for. So much of the stuff that we've heard around them this offseason has been centered around Spencer Rattler, and he's feeling comfortable and ready to go out and show who he really is now we heard all the same stuff a season ago and yes they put it together at the end there and that wasn't all just because of Spencer Rattler they won late in the year at Clemson because they got phenomenal special teams play and against you know Tennessee look Spencer Rattler was great in that game Tennessee's defense gave up 63 points I, I think that was more about how bad and awful Tennessee was in that game more so than anything Spencer Rattler was doing now having said that this North Carolina program is allergic to defense. They do not play defense there. And they have had that issue not just in the Mac Brown era. That's gone back to the Larry Fedora era. They've had pretty good quarterbacks there. Sam Howell, Mitchell Trubisky, even Marquise Williams a few years ago. Drake Mays may be better than all of them, certainly from an NFL pro prospect standpoint. And so it's going to be a really interesting matchup. Granted, this is a game where if it were played on campus instead of at a neutral site in Charlotte, I think it's got a lot more juice and a lot more buzz to it. If this game's at South Carolina, I think it's a lot more fun. 
but it's one of those week one neutral site games that we still see from time to time. But it is an interesting game. It just because I think it doesn't have the national reputation because I think both of these are sort of regional powers more so than national ones. It doesn't grab the attention the same way LSU, Florida State, Utah, uh, Florida does. But this is a game. If you're if you're an interested SEC fan, you know we talk time to time about it. there are games that separate real SEC fans right. from casual SEC fans. Right. I think this is one of those games where if you're a real SEC fan you're tuning in to see how South Carolina does and how they shape up going into the season. I think that's absolutely right. That means I'll be tuned in as closely as one can be. Uh, Connor, uh, really good stuff. We appreciate you being here today on our program. We're looking forward to reading a whole lot more of your coverage from Athens coming up over the next few days, next few weeks. The season is here. We're glad to be a part of it, and we're glad to have you out there on that wall for us, covering it there at dognation.com. We will look forward to talking to you soon. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Connor. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, to be uh, clear on Florida State, I guess maybe Mike uh, Griffith, our colleague at Dog Nation, has them in his playoff. I do not have Florida State in my playoff. Now, I'm not telling you my playoff picks are any better, but I don't have Florida State. The thing that scares me off the Seminoles a little bit right now is, first of all, I do believe they're losing Sunday night to LSU, so that's a, that's a tough thing to begin with. But then beyond that, you know, if you look at like Bud Elliott blue chip ratio and some of those metrics that are out there that measure the overall talent level of Florida State, it's actually not quite as high as you might think. I think that Jordan Travis has arrived. I think he's a real live quarterback. I think that Mike Norvell cl- clearly seems to be building something that matters there in Tallahassee. But I believe the overall construction project there is still far from fully completed. So I think that Florida State's a tough out. If you care about power ratings and things like that, by the end of the year last year, Florida State was power rated almost as high as anybody uh you know certainly below the georgia level uh their power rating a year ago would have been pretty high but the overall talent level here right now other than at quarterback they've improved the offensive line that to me is not a playoff level team in fact i'm not quite so sure why i mean they haven't beaten clemson seven years so from my standpoint the onus is still on them to prove you can be clemson before i'm going to be you know kind of punching a ticket for you for the college football playoff but obviously on sunday we'll go a long way towards finding some of that kind of stuff out my belief here is is that lsu which looked pretty haphazard last year one year later with one full year of leadership of brian kelly my guess is that operation looks a little bit more buttoned up, a little bit more professional. That's my expectation, but we shall see. Now, speaking of professional operations, there are no more professional operations than our friends at Royal Caribbean Cruise Line. And listen, they have got some amazing, amazing cruise vacations for you to take here right now. And as you head towards 2024, it's time to start thinking about them, including the Dog Nation Cruise coming up April of 2024. We're leaving out of Port Canaveral. That's where we kind of go out of. That's the closest port to us here, the most convenient to get to. It's really kind of an easy drive and then we're going to and if i'm going on the cruise you know that's going to be a part of our itinerary at least perfect day coco k so excited about that nasa on the bahamas but the thing that makes it bigger and better than it's ever been before for april of 2024 is the fact that we're going to be on an oasis class ship called allure of the sea so all the special neighborhoods the central park and the boardwalk area and all the fun extra entertainment options like the aqua theater in the back of the ship so many extra fun things that the oasis class ships provide we're going to experience that together with our dog nation cruise here so and to match the excitement of that we've got even more fun specially themed dog nation events that are going to be taking place there as well so please check out the website it's royaldogs.com and you can be a part of the next 
Dog Nation Cruise, the third, I guess we'll call it annual Dog Nation Cruise. Uh, RoyalDogs.com, that's the website. Uh, limited state rooms, but still some room for you right now. So get on board, RoyalDogs.com for more on that. So Connor mentioned a moment ago the situation for Florida and Utah on Thursday night. And Cam Rising, the you know very good quarterback for Utah, whose status is a total unknown here right now, kind of gave you a little bit of a hopeful message yesterday talking about how he feels better than he has felt didn't reveal any details but did somewhat half kiddingly say that he'd be willing to wait until like seven minutes prior to game time to ultimately make that decision my belief on stuff like this is is if you think a player's hurt he probably is so if rising status is unknown that means even if he plays perhaps he doesn't play his overall best but i'm also of the belief that and you bring the point spread in this uh utah's about a touchdown favorite here right now about seven points at last check in this game we'll have our picks officially later on this week with go with the flow presented by rs andrews my belief is the unknown status of rising has been a thing since january that is factored into this point spread already so if you're talking about Utah now losing its second quarterback and now going to its number three quarterback, well, at that point in time, maybe you're going to fully consider this. But if you're talking about a scholarship-level quarterback for Utah, whether it's rising or not, playing in his own stadium, Rice-Eccles, tough place to play, Florida traveling almost the complete distance of the North American landmass to get there, the injury to rising is kind of already factored into this and utah is just viewed to be the better overall team so for now my instinct is is that utah is the favorite here for a reason and i certainly don't believe that graham mertz is the kind of quarterback that can close that gap for florida not by a long shot if it's mertz against the utah number three and if that's some sort of walk-on maybe perhaps mertz could be better than him but there won't be very many quarterback matchups this year where Graham Mertz has the chance to be the better of the two. And even against a backup for Utah on Thursday, I'm assuming that's also true there as well. So for now, the rising injury, especially if you care about the point spread, the current price is not enough to scare me off the Utes here for right now. But we'll follow that. Speaking of transfer quarterback, Sam Hartman, the new Notre Dame quarterback, with a very impressive showing in his debut this past Saturday in Ireland against Navy, was on the Dan Patrick show this week. And he was talking about the interest he got from other SEC teams as far as transferring. And he mentioned Florida, and he mentioned Auburn, and he mentioned a little bit, he said, from Alabama there as well. But ultimately, he said that it was all about the fit, the comfort that he had at Notre Dame, which is why he wanted to go there. And perhaps my take on this may be a little bit surprising to you. But to me, the idea that these SEC teams were interested in Hartman but Hartman still chose to go to Notre Dame. To me, that tells me more about Hartman than it does these particular SEC teams. Now, you can kind of split this up into two different categories. You know, on the one hand, like Auburn and Florida, these aren't really playoff-level teams, but a really good transfer quarterback, which Hartman admittedly is, you put a really good transfer quarterback on this Florida roster, that is a much better team. Would that Florida team be, you know, have a much better chance of winning this game at Utah on Thursday? Of course it would. Even for Auburn, which pretty well decimated you know because of just the ineptitude of brian harson you know prior to hugh freeze getting the job but when you look at how active freeze was and the rest of the transfer portal the fact that you know there are still some recruits left in this program you put a you put a sam hartman on that auburn roster even they would have been all of a sudden in the conversation to be in the top 20 or something like that so so a hartman on a florida and auburn of course would have made them better but perhaps easy to understand why a guy like hartman says eh, i'm not quite so sure i want to be a part of hugh freeze's first year at auburn i'm not sure where that's going and i definitely don't want to be a part of billy napier's second year at florida because i definitely don't know where that's going but 
if Sam Hartman really had a chance to be the quarterback at Alabama and turn that down, that just sort of tells me everything I need to know about him. Notre Dame is not a championship contender. Now, there'll be plenty of people in the media who sort of simp for the Irish and say that they are, but those people are always wrong virtually about everything, but definitely about Notre Dame year after year after year. Marcus Freeman's not leading that team anywhere right now. They'll lose two or three games before this year is done. But for a guy like Hartman, you can go to Notre Dame, you can win nine or ten games, you can receive accolades for doing that in a way that you would not get at Alabama. In Alabama, you're coming to the Crimson Tide for a championship or bust type season. And that kind of pressure just isn't for everyone. And if you've been at Wake Forest, that's a huge step up in expectations. And maybe for Sam Hartman, that's just not for him. Now, for those of us who are not Bama fans, we're, I guess, glad Hartman didn't go to Alabama. But the idea that Alabama, apparently, according to what Hartman said on the Dan Patrick show this week, the fact that Alabama couldn't convince Hartman to come there instead of going to Notre Dame that doesn't speak to some sort of deficiency with Alabama, I don't believe. It sort of speaks to a guy like Hartman who would seem to demonstrate, I'm not quite so sure how bad you want it. If you choose kind of a middling team like Notre Dame, which could perhaps be back half of the top 10, at least in the top 15, but playing no real games of consequence all year long, if that's the choice that you make over the chance to go be a kingmaker to place like Alabama and really put that team in national championship contention because they don't have a quarterback, you could have been the quarterback to kind of put them into contention. If you didn't want that, then maybe that tells me everything I need to know about you. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, Texas A&M has made its official announcement. Connor Wegman, not a surprise here, uh, beats out Max Johnson, the former LSU transfer. Um, and Wegman's going to be the full season starting quarterback now for Texas A&M. And obviously a lot of eyes on that Aggies offense here this year with Bobby Petrino as offensive coordinator and Jimbo Fisher feeling the pressure. The Fisher offensive system has failed. That's why Petrino is here. Wegman, certainly a high value former recruit who gets a chance to have that offense at his full disposal led by Petrino this year. And we'll see if the improvement comes. Obviously, that's what Aggies fans are hoping for. And you kind of wonder what happens to Jimbo Fisher if it doesn't. All those questions are difficult to answer right now. I do still think, and I know that my credibility when it comes to Texas A&M is pretty, pretty low because I've predicted them to be good before, and that hasn't always worked out. But I do still think that A&M can be a pretty tough out. Petrino, upgraded offense. Wegman, probably the best overall prospect they've had playing the quarterback position in quite some time. I think this A&M team can be a pretty tough out against Tennessee, for instance, and some of the other games uh, this team will play. Uh, I think the Aggies can be a pretty tough out. And I don't think that probably adds up to like a top 10 type thing. It may not even add up to be like a top 15, top 25 type thing. But on a week-to-week basis, they can still be a pretty difficult team to beat. And we'll see if Wegman working with Bobby Petrino increases that and will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Of course, for somebody there in the SEC West in the final year of that division, someone's going to be coming to Atlanta later on in the month of December. In fact, uh, there may be a lot of folks around the SEC footprint traveling to Atlanta all the time for various things over the course of the next few months. Well, when you are doing that, I want you to consider our friends right here in the Dunwoody area as a great destination for you. If you've got travels that take you to Midtown or Buckhead, downtown, but you kind of want to get out of some of that hustle and bustle and be over here in a place like where our studios located right here in the Dunwoody area you can enjoy 2100 hotel rooms nine different hotels you're talking about more than 200 restaurant opportunities fine dining casual all kinds of great options there more than 300 shopping experiences that you can enjoy 
all of that for you right here in the Dunwoody area. Plus, we're nestled right in between two terrific Marta stations, the Dunwoody Station, the Sandy Springs Station. We are right here, uh, so convenient to all of Atlanta, but in kind of a family-friendly, relaxed, comfortable, safe environment where you can enjoy shopping and dining and great experiences right here in the Dunwoody area. So please check out discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation for more on that. That's discoverdunwoody.com slash dognation for more on that. All right. Um, I want to let you hear from Kirby Smart in a moment. Before we do that, Michael, for the people who may have just joined us on video, can we kind of pan back out just for a second and show off our brand new image on our desk, the brand new logo, go for three in 23. We're so proud of this. Uh, it's kind of the uh, establishing of the mission here for the upcoming season. Yeah, look at this. Uh, great work being done by our team here to get this logo ready for the start of the upcoming season. We're going to go for three in 23 here this year. Um, I guess we kind of got that a uh, little bit out uh, there, but, but nonetheless, it's a uh, it, it's a great logo, a lot of fun. Uh, you can go back and see at the beginning of the show there if you want to see that. Um, really, really excited about all that. we have. There you go. Now, now we're going to get back in there. There you go. Get that thing. Uh, looking good and ready to go. Um, go for three and 23. We're just so excited about this and so excited about what this season is going to hold for Georgia. And one more time yesterday, Kirby Smart was asked about this, about the, 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 both the challenge of winning that third straight national championship, but also the motivation it provides for the chance to make history. And I would dare say this may be the final time. Smart's been asked about this plenty. Uh, we've certainly had our say about this many, many times there as well. But one more time before the mission actually begins to go for three and 23, Kirby Smart was there to remind us that even though people like me talk about this all the time, Kirby Smart himself and the team behind the scenes, they're just not talking about this nearly as much, that that is not their focus here right now. So for the last time before the season begins, Kirby Smart was asked about go for three and 23 yesterday, and this is what he had to say about that. I just don't think you can make it about that. Because the minute you do that, you open yourself to distractions, added pressure. What if it doesn't happen? What are you playing for? I mean, there's just so many things that I just don't believe philosophically in doing that because what the previous two teams did has no bearing on this team. It has no bearing. Um, our focus is UT Martin and really us. And that's going to be true whoever we play. is. We have to remain focused on us, and we have to, like I said, set a standard of the way this team's going to practice in a game week. And that's kind of like being where your feet are. Because you don't inherit practice habits. You don't inherit standards. You set them. And they change year to year, and, and you got to kind of acknowledge them. So that's where our focus is. And I know it's so hard for people to believe that we're not talking about the other, but we got a lot of uh, work to be done before we start talking about that. I like what Smart says there at the end. We've got a lot of work to do before we can start talking about that. In other words, I don't think he meant it this way, but it clearly can be taken this way, which is, you know, hey, listen, you know, we we might be talking about this before it's all said and done. We might be doing that then. Before the season's done, we hope to be talking about go for three and 23. We hope to be talking about that mission. We hope to be doing those things as we'll fire up our music and get ready to uh, close the show for the day. We hope to be doing those things, but right now we got practice habits to take care of. Right now we got a... You know, we get a job to do to start the season. And then as the season rolls on, we'll worry about finishing the season. But we also understand there as well 
there is history at stake for Georgia. It would be the greatest single run over the course of a three-year span that has ever happened in the history of college football. So the chance to make history, the chance to do something that's never been done before, you know, I hope this team does appreciate how special that would be. But obviously thinking about too much about the end right now as you're just getting started, uh, that's not necessarily the proper recipe. And no one's understood the proper level of motivation that teams like this need more so than Kirby Smart in the past. And it seems like he's got his finger in the pulse again here as Georgia begins this upcoming season with go for three and 23, the mission to be accomplished before it's all said and done. How about a golden shoe to give out here today? Uh, our buddy K-Rob checking in to say, B.A., you sold me. And you see him with a case there of the uh, long drink traditional in the blue can with the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick, the long drink cranberry. Uh, enjoying that. Obviously a great way to kind of conclude the summer before the season begins, or perhaps that's for the tailgate cooler there on Saturday. Either way, uh, K9 Rob, hope you enjoy that. We appreciate you supporting the finished long drink. And we appreciate you bringing home a golden shoe there today there as well. And, of course, our lousy, stinking Gators, they've got no finished long drink to enjoy. They've got no celebrations to be had. They have got no enjoyable tailgates uh, coming up here this weekend. All they've got is misery. 60 days from right now, it gets even worse. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.